one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLS Welcome to White Sox Weekly on December 24th. Happy holidays to everybody. I'm Connor McKnight, and thanks so much for hanging out with us for an hour this afternoon. I know it's a busy one, and I'd imagine, if you're anything like me, uh, it's possible that you're running around grabbing a few last-minute gifts, making sure that you've, uh, you know, you made your list and you checked it twice, and then you've, well, if you're me, you've put that list somewhere, forgotten it, had no idea it existed, then come back to it only to realize that, oh, my God, there's like seven or eight nieces or nephews that I haven't even gotten things for yet, uh, and Santa is on his way, and you got to do your job, or at least your share, to keep things up this holiday. So if it's a hectic one, if it's a joyous one, if it's a happy one, I certainly hope uh, the last two and the hectic part of it dies down real quick. Uh, hopefully... Uh, if you are driving around and doing that kind of thing, you can hang out with us and listen to a little uh, of the latest on your Chicago White Sox. A lot to do this afternoon, and I'll let you know what we're doing this afternoon. We're going to uh, continue to take a deeper dive into some of the prospects the White Sox have picked up as they've changed the landscape of the franchise in trading Chris Sale and in trading Adam Eaton and perhaps in, in moves yet to be made, of course, uh, it's entirely possible that we see things uh, continue to shake up just a little bit, perhaps after the holidays. Uh, it's entirely possible that that's the case. seems like General Manager Rick Hahn has mentioned that a couple of times. Um, Mike Antonellis, who does the play-by-play of the Portland Sea Dogs, is going to join us a little bit later in the show. He saw Yuan Mankata rake at the A level of the Red Sox organization last year. Figured we get a deep look into Kind of what makes Yuan Mankata tick? What kind of player he is? Uh, the ups and the downs, the goods and the bads, and some of the things he needs to work on. I, I find it really interesting to look at players at that double-A level because you see so much raw talent in double-A. Triple-A is, is kind of this uh, amalgam of, I don't want to say washouts from Major League Baseball, but guys who kind of make the trip up and down from the major leagues uh, throughout the course of the season. There are some guys who are, you know, kind of career AAA guys, organizational type guys who are in that league. And I guess, I suppose if I could sum it up in one word, which would, I guess, do it a disservice, but AAA is a bit more of a crafty level, which has a purpose in and of itself. I mean, there are crafty guys at the big league level, guys who get things done with, you know, more savvy and know-how than raw talent. Uh, maybe some veterans who might fit that bill. But AAA, you see more of that. And that's where you, you see scouts and town evaluators say that guys will get their polish. In AA, you see more of this raw talent, this you know explosive fastballs and disappearing sliders and massive pop and all these kind of skills that have yet to be honed. And yet I find it interesting to evaluate players when they have that rawness pitted up against some more rawness. So we'll talk to Michael Antonellis about what he saw as Yuan Mankata went through double-A last year. We'll also talk to Kevin Brown, who does the play-by-play for the Syracuse Chiefs. It will not be the first time 
that a Syracuse Chiefs broadcaster, I guess technically a former Syracuse Chiefs broadcaster, has made it onto White Sox Weekly as though that's some big crowning achievement for their careers. Uh, of course, you know the Syracuse Chiefs broadcaster who's been on the show before. You listen to him just about every darn ball game. That's uh, Jason Benetti. That was the job he had in baseball uh, before he became the play-by-play man with Hawk Harrelson on the TV side for the Chicago White Sox. We'll talk with Kevin about two of the young arms that came through uh, to the White Sox from the Nationals organization in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. Should be an interesting conversation. And in case you're in and out of the car, maybe picking up those gifts and making sure you've, you know, checked the list twice, you can check out all of the White Sox weekly interviews and shows on the podcast. Head over to WLSAM.com slash White Sox. That's the best place to check out what we've been up to on the show. And uh, we would thoroughly enjoy you stopping by the website to uh, to download the interviews and podcasts that you've missed. Uh, in fact, if today isn't your day, maybe you just got it on for a couple of minutes and then you're off to grandmother's house, uh, you can you know maybe download these interviews a little bit later and pick them up as you hopefully have some time off during the holidays. Speaking of... You can give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season in case you've forgotten to get somebody something. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers redeemable for 71 great games in 2017 and start at just 40 bucks. Each order is shipped with a decorative card and a commemorative White Sox ornament complete with the official team colors and logos as well as festive red stitching. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs for more information or to order yours today. Uh, one other thing I want to let you know, you can get in touch with the show at C1McKnight on Twitter. As always, we invite you to drop your questions or ponderings or wonderments about the White Sox or baseball in general at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. and It's how we use uh, Twitter to get in touch with, uh, with people throughout the course of the week. Before we get to some of the prospects that we'll talk about quite a bit uh, throughout the rest of the show and I think for quite a bit throughout the rest of the season, um, I wanted to get into some of the news that's been popping around. And, and of course, it's it's tough to do anything but keep an ear down to the rumor mill and see exactly, you know, what's going around for the White Sox, what's going around the, the reporters' notebooks, I suppose, for the White Sox. And, indeed, there were a couple of notes uh, concerning the Sox and concerning Jose Quintana that I wanted to get to real quickly here um, before we get into our guests for the afternoon. Jose Quintana is maybe most logically the next piece uh, that might perhaps be on the move for the White Sox. Uh, Rick Kahn, general manager of the ball club, told us on White Sox Weekly just a couple of weeks ago after moving Chris Sale that he wanted to make more moves, that if the organization had its druthers, is his phrase, that they'd be going a little deeper into the retooling of the franchise. And I think there are interesting things about Quintana that maybe weren't quite there with Chris Sale or were there in different facets. And I'll start with this. Jose Quintana is under control for four more seasons. That's longer than Sale was under control when he was dealt three more seasons on his deal. And granted, it's just one year, and Quintana and Sale are right about that same age in their primes, and they're different pitchers somewhat too. And you can make the argument that with Sale... His violent delivery, um, that, you know, I'm putting that in the air quotes, so White Sox fans have seen it for long enough and, and understand that it is what it is and might be as safe as anybody else is out there. But there's, I don't know, I guess more concern about sales, mechanics, delivery, and body type than there might be about Jose Quintana. So perhaps durability is a check 
that Jose Quintana gets in a way that Chris Sale doesn't. Maybe just a little bit more or bolder of a check there. For Jose Quintana, too, there's a check that he doesn't have that Chris Sale does have. Sale has that stuff that Quintana's not quite at the level of. That's not to say that Jose's got bad stuff at all. We've seen what he's been able to do on the south side for a number of years now. It's impressive. His control, though, is what makes him as elite as he is. So there's really three options here. Shopping Jose Quintana around, obviously making sure, as as Han was telling us on the show just a couple of weeks ago, that these deals that get made are the right deals, deals that have to be made for the benefit of the White Sox, not just deals that get made to make deals. There's the idea of keeping Jose Quintana for just a little bit. And I like this idea, and I understand that the returns on a potential trade might not be the same as they are right now, but I like the idea, at least playing around with it some, of waiting a bit, seeing which teams get desperate as they push for playoff spots, seeing which teams perhaps have to you know, deal with injuries or refuse to deal with injuries and want to fill out the starting staff. I like that idea some. And then there's the other idea of, you know, you've restocked this system in a way that the White Sox haven't had it stocked in quite some time. Jose Quintana, for another four years, still makes a lot of sense in, in the fact that he'd probably be pretty good for the rest of those four seasons. As the White Sox catch up, I suppose, to Jose Quintana's talent level, maybe it makes some sense to take a look at Quintana in a rotation that would also feature Carlos Rodon, of course, Lucas Giolito coming into his own, Reynaldo Lopez coming into his own, Carson Fulmer coming into his own, Michael Kopech, though he's just 20. You look at three years down the line when, you know, at 23, maybe he's, you know, announcing himself with authority into the big leagues. Something to think about there as we check out the rumor mills that are grinding ever harder as the winter really sets in here. Well, let's take a quick break. First one of the afternoon. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. When we get back, we'll talk with Michael Antonellis, the play-by-play man of the Portland Sea Dogs, and get a deep dive into Yuan Mankata, the new top prospect for the Chicago White Sox. That's next, right here on White Sox Weekly, WLS AMA 90. White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we're continuing to kind of look at the change in landscape for the White Sox. I wanted to take a deeper look into some of the prospects that have come around. Figured a good way to do that would be to talk to guys who watched him play in the minor leagues. Uh, before we start, I want to let you know that you can join us for a fun season of White Sox baseball with your own customized Pick 7 or Pick 14 plan. Enjoy your favorite games and promotions and enjoy savings off the individual ticket price. These plans are available now, so go secure your seats before individual tickets go on sale. For tickets or more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets or call 312-674-1000. So we get a chance to check in on some of the big-time talent the White Sox have hauled in in a trade for Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and the like, doing that all afternoon here on White Sox Weekly. So we reached out to Portland Sea Dogs play-by-play man Mike Antonellis, who watched Yoan Mankata blow through Double A on his way to the Bigs last season. Mike, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Oh, I appreciate it. There's, a, I think, a lot of buzz in both Boston and Chicago right now with these trades. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I know the Red Sox got a good one in Chris Sale, having watched him over the last handful of years, and I, I think what White Sox fans are really kind of looking forward to is finding out about some of the young treasure trove that uh, was brought over from Boston and from Washington, respectively. 
What did you notice? You know, because Mancata played uh, about 50 games or so at Double A this year with you guys and the Sea Dogs. What did you notice when he arrived from High A, and what surprised you most? Well, I think the first thing that uh, stood out to me, of course, is what he looks like. I mean, he's built like a linebacker, but this guy expects to be a big leaguer, and he kind of goes about it. His first introductory uh, press conference here at Hadlock Field. I mean, he told the, the, the media that this is just a stop for him. I mean, he doesn't expect to play in the minor leagues. That can come off in two different ways. Uh, for me, I'm impressed by that. I mean, you want guys to feel that. He wants to be a big leaguer really bad. Um, but I think what I was surprised about was how quickly he played third base. Uh, I know that Chicago has planned for maybe second, mm-hmm. but made the transition from second to third. The arm is electric. He's got an outfielder's arm. But there was really no learning curve. And, I, you know, those are things I look at defensively. I think guys will always figure out how to hit, um, you know, a guy with that talent who is very limited professional at-bats. And I know he didn't perform uh, the way Red Sox fans thought he would in the big leagues. There's a lot there to love. But the glove is important. I mean, you can't play up in the big leagues. Defensively, you're not sound. And his transition to a corner position, really not playing there a lot, was so smooth, the way he moved to his left and his right, the way he threw the ball, and the way he played there in the big leagues. I was really impressed. That really surprised me is uh, a lot of things come naturally to him, and he needs to constantly be challenged. But this guy has a load of ability, and he is someone that could be a superstar in this league. Mike Antonellis, the play-by-play man for the Portland Sea Dogs with us here on White Sox Weekly. I I love versatility. I I like that more major league teams are going to – more players that can play more positions on the 25-man roster. I like the idea of being able to play a little third, play a little second base. The White Sox have a few guys who fit that description. I think with the bat, Mankata is so interesting to me. Having seen his name on top prospect lists for a handful of years now, yet only having seen the highlight reel, just the good stuff, just the dingers, and God knows I love dingers. But I was surprised to see the numbers and the the plate discipline kind of stay relatively steady. Sure, the strikeout's there, but... There's some plate discipline there for Mankata from single A into double A. Yeah, and uh, some of the things our coaches have always stressed over the years, and I remember a hitting coach, Dave Joppe, used to tell some of our hitters, it's okay to walk. And I think sometimes the really good ones don't want to. I think a lot of times Mankata got himself out, if that makes any sense. I mean, when he wanted to be up there in discipline and work counts, put himself in a hitter's count and a plus count, he can do that. He has that eye he can lay off pitches that are, are very close. So th- that is there, but he's young, and he's going to be a little raw. So I agree with you. Uh, the, the ability to do that is just he got into ruts where he didn't want to do that. I've seen tons of young players do that. Uh, being able to do that is, is uh, you know, not everyone can grind out at bats. The Red Sox are big on that, and it's something that I think he'll get better as Josh Reddick was somebody in this system that really didn't, want to do that and uh you know he ended up getting traded i think he knew he needed to get better at that and he has he's turned himself into a pretty good big league hitter Mankata has so much upside in just to watch him play and uh, i think what i really love though going back to your first question too is his love for the game and i know that a lot of guys should but he'd play every day every inning and i, I think that's someone um he, he's going to really love being in the big leagues and um not that every guy doesn't but it, it's just really he wears them in the sleeve a lot more than I've seen a lot of guys. You know, it's interesting you, you bring it up like that because I was going to ask whether maturity is a fair point to bring up with Mankata. And, and I mean more so about the at-bats, not about the person itself. And maybe maturity isn't the right word to use. Is his 
Is his lack of experience, you know, maybe facing off-speed pitches, change-ups and the like, is that the biggest knock on him at this point? Yes, and I think that it's only natural. I don't think any minor league guy can can get the kind of looks at these levels. Uh, of course, at our level, we say it's the biggest jump from high A, but there's no bigger jump into the big leagues. And uh, Mookie Betts, who I saw play here, is the best player I've ever seen, I've ever covered. I remember his first kind of run in the big leagues. I can remember this vividly. He saw Tommy Hunter, I think, slider at about 91 away. And Mookie just looked down and looked up as to say, wow, you know, welcome to the show to himself. I just don't think you can see those looks. There might be one or two guys we see in a year that have that kind of stuff. When Noah Syndergaard was in this league, he was somebody. You just don't see it. You know, the, the pitching in the big leagues is so much better and I know it's obvious, but just, you know, I don't think people realize it's such a huge gap. And it's just not seeing that, you know. He he saw some curveballs, but nothing like he saw in September. So I agree, I agree with you. There's maturity. And I and I think, yeah, there's probably some growing up he needs to do. And, and all sorts of life, just like anybody at that age, you know, getting all that money, being the poster boy of the organization. But I think he's willing to accept that. And uh, it, it's not going to hurt him. I, he likes being the top dog he likes being the best player in minor league baseball and i think those are good things some guys don't want to be in the spotlight he certainly does and i think pairing him up with jose abreu is going to be terrific for white Sox fans you're listening to uh, mike antonellis who's the play-by-play man for the portland sea dogs here on white Sox weekly mike let me ask you a, a, a general day a philosophical question i guess about double a baseball i did some time in the carolina league a, a while back so that's that level for those who aren't all that familiar with the minor league levels, that's that high A level going into double A. And it had been talked about for a while, at least when I was there, that double A is where you see some of your elite arms in the system, not so much in triple A. They might be guys who are, you know, that next guy up on the roster, that kind of swing bullpen arm. Triple A is used more as, uh, was then used as more like a stash area yep. for arms specifically. Do you see that still in double in ADC teams continuing that trend? Yeah, and I think I think it is changing a little bit where the Red Sox are using Triple A Pawtucket as kind of a taxi squad. But I think you see the more raw guys at our level, the stuff, and they want to harness that. They want to make sure they can repeat their delivery, and, and they might be more raw. I think what happens to Triple A hitters that I talk to that that maybe go up to Triple A and come back here is they face guys that know how to pitch. You know, eighty six, eighty seven, but they can spot it up on the outside corner. So they're just more experienced. They might not have the stuff. Uh, but, yeah, you, you know, more of a, a swing guy, like you said, back and forth. Like a Brandon Duckworth is a perfect example of a sure. AAA guy. Or, yeah, we see, you know, in, in the, the Mets teams in this league, uh, in A the last few years, I mean, Syndergaard, Harvey, um, Fulmer, they, they've been loaded with arms, and it seems like those guys spend a majority of the year here. And, yeah, I, you know, it, it was at one point where AAA was exclusively like all retreads. The Red Sox have kind of changed a little bit. They'll bring in some veterans, but they're going more of a mix. But I think the pure stuff seems to get more time in AA. And then for the hitters here, of course, Ben Benintendi, Andrew Benintendi and Mankata didn't spend much time in Pawtucket, which is rare, but it's something that Dave Dombrowski is big on, which uh, the regimes here before didn't do as much. As, as Mankata goes to AAA, that kind of seems to be the, the prescription for him from the White Sox. What can Sox fans, White Sox fans, look for from Mankata in his AAA time? I mean, obviously, you're going to want to watch that, that, that timeline expire, you know, where he's going to come up and you keep that service time right. But as far as his skill set, when we're watching Charlotte Knights games staying up late, 
What can they look for for Mankata to uh, to check off his list? Yeah, I mean the arm, right? You know, right away. I mean, of course, guys that that can play corner position have the arm, but his arm, it, he throws with so much velocity, so accurate. Uh, he's very smooth for someone that's built like a linebacker. I think that's impressive the way he moves. There are times where he might overcompensate going to his right. It happens. He's gotten so much better. I think it's just the ability to get better quickly. Um, at the plate, he can run. That's the other thing. And this guy's probably one of the fastest guys in Charlotte. He's going to be one of the fastest guys on the team. He struggles a little bit right-handed. That's one of the things, the bugaboos, that he wants to work on. He's just not disciplined from the right side. It's something he needs to work on. He doesn't. It looks like two completely different hitters. Hmm. Let's see how he grows in the offseason, in spring training, batting right-handed. But, man, he's got a ton of power from the left side, and he'll be just fun to watch because he can hit the ball to all fields from the left side. He can hit home runs a long way. And this guy's got the, the talent, you know, it's just uh, it's incredible. And you scouts will talk about the upside of him, and they talk about him being a future big league all-star, which you don't always hear. Mike, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for, uh, for hanging out with us on the show. Enjoy it. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Mike Antonellis, who is the play-by-play man for the Portland Sea Dogs and watched Yuan Mankata as much as, well, just about anybody else last season. Success 2017 returns January 27th through January 29th. Yuan Mankata was scheduled to be there. We're bringing ballpark fun to the Hilton Chicago. You'll score an autograph or photo with current players, coaches, and White Sox greats. Your favorite areas are back with an interactive space to play games, win prizes, and shop for team gear. It'll be a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now. Visit WhiteSox.com slash SoxFest for tickets and more information. We continue with the theme of the day, talking to the guys who saw the newest White Sox prospects the most. Kevin Brown, who does the play-by-play for the Syracuse Chiefs, is coming up next. We'll talk with him about some of the new young arms the White Sox have put into their system. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So welcome back into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and with me, Kevin Brown of the Syracuse Chiefs, a man who has seen quite a bit of two of the newest prospects in the White Sox system, that, of course, being Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, who were acquired for Adam Eaton just a couple of weeks ago. But right before we do, I want to let you know that the most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with MLB.com at bat, the number one app for live baseball. You can enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game day scores, statcast, live radio broadcasts, and more. Get MLB.com at bat on your favorite devices. All right. Okay, to the phone lines. Kevin, thanks for taking some time out for us. Hey, Connor, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled to be the first ever former or current Syracuse Chiefs broadcaster to appear on a White Sox broadcast. I can't think of any others who've made that jump in the past two years. So not it's a really single one. To be the first. Yeah. No, not a single one. Uh, and, and if there have been, the, the, the appearances have been so forgettable. You just kind of write them off and they go into the ether. That's right. I, I don't even know who we could possibly be talking about. I don't, no know, I don't know what what Italian uh, <laughs> could possibly be the subject of, of this course here. But thank you for having me in all seriousness. Who may or may not have gone to Homewood Flossmore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. It just, it's possible. Jason Benetti's a fine guy, but not who we're talking about here. Uh, nope, so nope. you have taken over uh, for, for Jason Benetti and do a fine job on the broadcasts there. And it was your, I imagine, well, I've seen the ERAs of both Giolito and Lopez this past season. I imagine it was your pleasure to watch them pitch. I want to start with Lucas Giolito. That I had no idea that he's actually 6'6 and 255. That is a mountain of a human being. 
You know, some guys are listed at 6'6", 255, and then you shake their hand and you think, oh, that's not true. Uh, this one is true. He is a big, physically imposing guy. I'll say this, though. Lucas is sort of a baby-faced young man, and, mm. and I mean that in a good way. He's, he's a pretty soft-spoken, thoughtful guy. Um, he's got a, a hulking mass in terms of size, but he's not the sort of guy that's going to stare you down with lasers coming out of his eyes. You know, like so many relievers often are, sure. um, or some starters too. He's a, he's a much gentler guy in that respect. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with a lack of a competitive streak, which he certainly has. But, yeah, he's a big guy, and that's one of the reasons uh, the Nationals were so high on him, and that's one of the reasons why everyone was so high on him. And, and, and one of the reasons, frankly, why this was such a surprise now, the other name in the trade is, is Lopez uh, in terms of this discussion. I know Dane Dunning as well, and we'll get to Lopez. But there are a lot of folks that think, you know, Ronaldo Lopez might end up being a reliever because of his limited size. He's not that physically imposing. Nobody thinks that about Giolito. He certainly is big enough to hold up. Yeah, and Giolito has been the number one prospect in baseball once, perhaps twice, and maybe even a third time. Who knows? I mean, those those lists will come out. And for the White Sox, he is in that conversation within the organization. He's a guy who, you know, from from all the reports, all the scouting, he could have been the first guy taken in his draft and would have been the first right-hander, high school right-hander to be taken 1-1 ever, if not for the Tommy John. And I imagine that's shaped him some. Yeah, I think so. And it's something that the Nationals, by the way, are, are no strangers to doing. Um, they took Eric Fetty right after him the next year, another right-hander who had Tommy John surgery. But, uh, Lucas is somebody that, you know, and so many pitchers have this surgery now so much younger than we're used to year after year in baseball parlance. He's somebody who came to the Chiefs pretty well physically molded uh, and someone who over his fairly brief professional tenure has had really no whisper or inkling um, that we're aware of, of of arm issues. He was healthy all season in double-A, he did not miss a start with the Chiefs or in his time with Washington. Uh, you know, it, it seems like he's one of those success cases, and there are more and more of them now that have Tommy John surgery early. And you, know, you never know how a career is going to play out. Obviously, we, some guys have it once, never heard from again. Some guys have it once, become all-stars. Some guys have it once and have to have Tommy John surgery a second. Or, you know, now we've seen some that have to have it a third time. But I think Lucas is someone that, came into the Nationals system with an understanding that, hey, this is going to take a few years because you just had the surgery. They've been very patient with him. They've played it uh, very close to the vest. They've not elevated his innings too quickly, and I think he benefited as a result of that. Talking with Kevin Brown is the play-by-play man for the Syracuse Chiefs. He is uh, pretty familiar with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez as they come into the White Sox system. Uh, Kevin, we talked a little bit earlier in the show with Mike Antonellis, who does the double-A work uh, for the Portland Sea Dogs, yep. wanted to know about Yohan Mankata. And and we talked about double-A pitching, I guess, in, in relation to uh, Mankata and his development. Are, with triple-A pitchers, are, how does Lucas check off some of the boxes that you want to see a pitcher check off as he goes from double a where a lot of elite arms kind of live for a while and then move on to triple a where the type of arm that's in that system can be so much different well the one thing that we were particularly looking for to check off 
was his command because, frankly, his walk numbers were not great in double-A. Um, and it was better in triple-A because, you know, in triple-A you have to have a little bit more of a plan. I, I think in double-A, you know, the talent level is certainly higher in triple-A. In That's just logically one level up. The thing about double-A is you often have a raw talent that might equate to what you have in triple-A. It's just a little more polished in triple-A. So double-A, you can get by on stuff a little bit more than you can in triple-A, where you have to have command, you have to change speeds, change pitches. And where Lucas did struggle this past year was commanding his curveball. Um, it's something that you could draw a pretty direct line through when you look at his first few chief starts and his last few with the Chiefs in AAA. When he didn't have the curveball, long at-bats, long battles, more walks. And it was a matter of, and I think being 6'6 may have to do with this, and the fact that he's a pretty cerebral guy may have to as well. Uh, it, it was just really a matter of the length of his stride. It's something that he worked with quite a bit. He worked on these flat-footed drills where he just essentially throw flat-footed from the bullpen mount, mm. throw curveball after curveball with, with Bob Malacki, who's the Syracuse pitching coach and a former big leaguer in, uh, in his own right. And he just worked on trying to get that breaking ball down because it has such a tremendous spike. But in AAA, guys aren't going to fish for that just because it has a good spike. In AAA, guys are going to take it if it plummets completely out of the zone, and maybe they're not going to do that as much in AA. So it took him a few starts to really get settled in. Once the curveball kind of came into play and he could set up that pitch with the fastball and with the changeup, uh, there was a huge difference in, in G Lita. So I'd say if there's any one pitch that's going to make him in the development from double A to triple A and now triple A the majors shortly as White Sox fans are no doubt hoping, it's that curveball. That's a, really a simplified way of saying is that pitch goes, uh, so goes he. And I'm interested to see if the strides he made literally and figuratively last year with it uh, will will play into this year with a new organization. Man, the idea about getting a, a, a certain hitter to swing at a curveball like that sounds exactly like something I talked with Carson Fulmer about just this last spring training. That's mm -hmm. that's pretty interesting. Uh, with Lopez, you know, because I had seen with Giolito, you know, being the kind of prospect he was right from jump, I, I'd seen some tape on Giolito. When Ronaldo Lopez came over to the White Sox, I'd... I didn't know him from Adam, I'll be honest. And now I've watched him tape, and boy, does he pop. I mean, well, that's stuff. Well, for Adam, so you should, you should probably figure and, it out. And now, I, yeah, no, now I've, I've got him in the media guide, and we're all set now. I've done my research. But my goodness, does Lopez have ridiculous stuff. I, I think the easy comp is a guy like Jordano Ventura because of the stature, even though Lopez looks a little bit thicker and everything. I, boys, that's some heavy fastball, and that's a ridiculous breaking ball. You know, this will be my seventh year working for the Chiefs. Um, in the first six, I don't know that I've seen a starting pitcher with as lively an arm as Lopez. And, and, and I'm including Giolito in there. His fastball just moves. Yeah. It just cuts through you. My gosh, it's, it's really something special. And he has such a free and easy way of throwing it. Uh, but what really kind of stunned us about Lopez in the second half of the season was not just the fact that he could reach up and throw 98-99 in the middle or, or and near the end of the game, but how good his, his off-speed pitches are. His changeup and curveball are really, really good. 
And most of his strikeouts came on those two pitches, a, a pretty strong majority. Now, the Jordano Ventura comparison is one I've heard, too. Uh, there are a lot of folks, as I said, um, scouts, people in the know that think this guy is eventually a reliever. He does have a body a little thicker than some, but it may not hold up. Uh, you know, I saw Lopez for a half season. Look, I'm not going to pretend to know whether or not that guy is a starter or a reliever. But I just – I can't fathom a universe where he doesn't make a difference. Maybe it's as a starter. Uh, maybe it's as an, an eighth-inning guy. But I just feel like with that arm, worst-case scenario for him is going to be a really good reliever with high strikeout rates because he had some pretty advanced, um, let's call it, you know, pitchability for his age. Changing pitches, changing speeds. I mean, for a guy that only a, a few years prior was in low A ball, it's been a, a pretty startling jump. And the advancement of his off-speed pitches, well, we were all very impressed with the AAA. Talk with Kevin Brown, who does the play-by-play for the Syracuse Chiefs. Uh, and that's something with with the trades that the White Sox have made, whether it's Kopech or whether it's Giolito or whether it's Lopez and even Dane Dunning to a, to a lesser degree from, from what I've been told, is that the floors on all of those guys are pretty darn high. And if they do, I mean, let's just play in the hypothetical, if they do all end up in the bullpen, they ought to be pretty damn good. So I wonder then if that's, you know, can you, do you think you can make trades from that perspective? Do you think you can go from that way and say, okay, if the floors all hit, they're at least this, and then you've got a bullpen that looks like, I don't know, the Royals when they went to back-to-back World Series, or a bullpen that works like the Indians might have this past World Series. Uh, look, I, I think you can make trades based on ceilings, but any major league general manager executive worth his or her salt has made trades and has made moves that just don't pan out the way that you think they're going to. But sometimes you think a guy's going to be a five-time all-star and he'll be a, a one- or a two-time all-star. Um, that's the kind of trade that you know, you can be okay with because you got something out of it because sure. the floor was higher. I think it's a great point. I just think Lopez and Giolito have too good of arms to completely miss. I know that, you know, there's probably some concern, and, and I have been at times searching for an answer of why did the Nationals do this. Uh, and you could point to the end of this past season when they got some limited time in the bigs and didn't perform all that well. But it is an awfully small sample size. I mean, we're talking a few starts for for both of those guys. So I I just think with the arms that they have, obviously injuries are always uh, a big question mark, but it's hard for me to see them as as non-contributors at the big league level. Giolito, to I'll reiterate, pretty cerebral guy, well-spoken, I think he thinks the game well. Maybe he's somebody that, that overthinks it at time, but you, you'd mm. rather have that in, in some respects than a guy that doesn't get it. And then Lopez, you know, maybe you got a taste of the future when the Nationals in September and for the beginning of the playoffs said, let's throw this guy in the bullpen. Uh, he'll be a one-two inning guy. And, again, I just don't see without major, major injuries a, a worse-off scenario for Lopez than being a terrific piece in the bullpen so i don't know much about dunning him being lower in a ball but i I have to imagine for the white Sox that they're going to get some valuable contributions out of these two maybe they'll be hall of famers 
Maybe they'll be great relievers. Uh, in all likelihood, somewhere in between. And I think that, for what they're trying to do, uh, is certainly worth it. Kevin, appreciate the time. Thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, have a great AAA season next year. Hey, Connor, thank you. Happy to be in. That's Kevin Brown, the play-by-play man for the Syracuse Chiefs, a guy who watched Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez shoot through the Nationals' system and work to their MLB debuts last season. Hopefully they'll be making their White Sox debuts at some point in the 2017 season. Big thanks to Kevin for hanging out with us. Sox fans, don't let aches and pains keep you from doing all the things you love to do. Schedule an appointment at any of our 340 facilities by visiting athletico.com slash appointments. Athletico, the official physical therapy provider of the Chicago White Sox. Athletico, better for everybody. We'll wrap things up when we get back from a quick break here. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on December the 24th. We will be right back after this on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We are closing things out for the afternoon. Hopefully uh, you're able to finish up the show with us and then get to your family and hang out for the holiday weekend and hopefully the, the holiday week. Hopefully everybody is able to take some time off work and enjoy Another edition of White Sox Weekly, if we can be, I don't know, somewhat less than humble. Hey, sports fans, the Bulls Sox Youth Academy, the official youth training facility of the Chicago Bulls and White Sox, runs year-round basketball, baseball, and fast-pitch softball sports programming for boys and girls ages 5 to 18. The academy offers private lessons, camps, travel teams, birthday parties, field trips, and much, much more. Call 630 Playball. Or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. A couple of pieces of news and notes around the league and concerning the White Sox. I want to get to here before we say goodbye for the afternoon and get into the holiday spirit. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion signed by the Indians or reportedly signed by the Indians uh, Thursday into Friday, Thursday night into Friday. Three years and about $60 million, an option on that too for a fourth year as well. And obviously, that's a player the White Sox have seen for quite some time with the Toronto Blue Jays. And boy, that Indians ball club. I mean, obviously, you didn't need much more proof other than them taking the Cubs to seven games in the World Series, having multiple chances uh, to put that series away uh, before it was eventually uh, taken away from them, I suppose. But that lineup was as much fun for me as, as any lineup in Major League Baseball. I love their ability, the Indians' ability to throw as many switch hitters, dangerous switch hitters, into that lineup. Uh, they've got a bunch of good lefties. Encarnacion mixes in as a guy who hits from that side of the plate, the other side of the plate. He is got a ton of pop. And I think, you know, for the Indians, who got such a great year, all things considered, out of Mike Napoli and with the pop, with a little bit of on-base percentage, yeah, the average isn't exactly you know, where you want it. But it's Mike Napoli. I mean, a lot of that is is understood in where in, in what he is at this point in his major league career. Edward Encarnacion is a guy who has, over the last, I don't know, what do you want to do it, three seasons, four seasons? Let's play from 13 to 2016. He's hit 270. He's got an on-base of 363, and he slugged 541. He's hit 151 home runs in the last four seasons strikes out a lot sure that's something that i think that indians lineup can kind of survive Uh, mike napoli struck out quite a bit as well it is yet again uh, another dangerous team 
in the AL Central to watch for. And I suppose uh, if you can, if you can, it'd be a fun one to watch throughout the course of the season. Ender Inciarte uh, gets a contract extension with the Atlanta Braves. Not much to say here. Doesn't affect the White Sox all that much. But it's about a five-year deal for uh, 30-some million dollars. And it just, I only bring it up because it made me think of the Adam Eaton deal when it was signed by Eaton and the White Sox a couple of years ago. Long-term kind of control sort of thing for a young player who is announced himself at the major league level but still has a couple of things yet to prove i think that's about where adam was um at the time of the contract hopefully it works out just as well uh for for both teams there the braves and ender uh and and you can kind of see too that when teams came a calling and when the white Sox went the way that they did during this offseason that kind of control and obviously that kind of talented player brings back quite a haul a lot of teams are interested in something like that some free agents still looking for gigs, uh, some of them signing some, and I wanted to get to some that were connected to the White Sox last season. Jimmy Rollins signed a minor league deal with the Giants, very similar to the deal that he signed with the White Sox uh, in spring training this past season. Rollins was a guy who was well-respected in that clubhouse, and you know when you start a description of a player like that, it's fairly obvious that the guy's a veteran, that he's not the MVP he once was, that he's probably able to do a couple of things for you. But he just, it's kind of admirable. The dude wants to play baseball. That Giants infield is a little bit different than it's looked in the past. No Matt Duffy anymore. And certainly, you know, they've got their shortstop and Brandon Crawford, and they've got their second baseman and Joe Panic. But it'd be interesting to see what Jimmy Rollins does for a couple of guys in that camp. I, I don't think he expects to make the Major League Ball Club. I don't know if he wants to play any minor league ball. Certainly doesn't seem as though a guy like a guy like Jimmy wants to go down to the minor leagues. We'll see. Uh, he's just an interesting guy to watch. Two other free agents uh, the White Sox had on the roster this past season, Justin Morneau and Austin Jackson, haven't had a whole lot of ink uh, or, or nibbles, I suppose, to this point. Of course, that's that's what we know so far. There, there could be things percolating around for them. And I just wonder, with where the White Sox roster is now, And we'll start in the outfield with Austin Jackson playing the way he did last season, being pretty good defensively, having a little bit of tough luck with the bat, but seemed to be able to handle his own. I I wonder if if there's a reunion potentially in store or a fit, I suppose, for Austin Jackson. I certainly think that you're going to see Charlie Tilson get a crack at a major league job in spring training. We'll see if that's a guy that they want to run the clock on right away, that the White Sox want to run the clock on right away. He was called up immediately after being traded for from the Cardinals this past season. Of course, he just played the one game and then had the hamstring injury. Uh, Sad stuff there, but I I think Charlie Tilson's the guy that's in there. Otherwise, you know, that outfield, as it stands now, with Melky Cabrera in left and suppose Tilson and Avi in in the two other two spots, perhaps, um, there are opportunities for... Maybe some younger bats, a guy like Jacob May perhaps could make a crack into this roster. Um, But it seems like there's a spot for a veteran there in Austin Jackson. And if the cost is right, who knows? Maybe that's a a, a price and a set that's willing to pay. Quickly, before we uh, say goodbye, Justin Morneau as well. Really kind of the same story. Uh, The White Sox have the bats to hand out. Um, If some of the prospects that they have talked about being more patient with than in the past decade or so, you know, wanting to aggressively promote guys and see what they're able to to handle. Uh, you kind of wonder if, if Justin Morneau has a little bit more fit um, with the White Sox and, of course, as with a team 
where the, uh, on the path the White Sox are on. Uh, you, you wonder whether the acquiring of veterans and then the subsequent trading of veterans help, you know, enrich a system and kind of crystallize a uh, path going forward. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much to Michael Ananellis of the Portland Sea Dogs and Kevin Brown of the Syracuse Chiefs. Thanks for calling. Thanks for texting. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful holiday season, and we will talk to you in 2017. I'm Connor McKnight. You have WLS AM 890.